0: And our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. I wanted to have the entire chapter of Genesis 34 read so we would understand the the full context. But if you've got your Bibles, Genesis 34. Last year, the the Houston uh, Chronicle... Came out with, with a a series of, of six articles that were with the title "Abuse of Faith." Twenty years, seven hundred victims. Southern Baptist sexual abuse spreads as leaders resist reforms. This was the title of of this series of articles that the Chronicle uh, put out. And in these articles, you read you read story. After story of of pastors, of of, uh, leaders, youth leaders, volunteers who who leveraged their position. They leveraged their position to abuse those who were under their care. And numerous churches were named. High profile pastors were were named. And, And what was spotlighted was their neglect of care. What was spotlighted was, was their, their silence and their silencing of victims and their failure to act uh, and, and pursue justice among, among many other failures, church family. And, and, and through it all, here's the, the problem. The gospel gets drugged through the mud. Like the gospel just gets absolutely maligned, and in many of these stories, the victims had had abandoned. They just abandoned the faith. After all, it, it's it's hard to hold to to a good and gracious. Christ, when, when his people, the bride of Christ, are more uh, often are more concerned about name and reputation than they are grieving, as we talked about last week in Amos 6:6, 6, 6, as Pastor Matt preached, they, 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 we don't grieve over the ruin of Joseph, and, and we, don't, we don't move toward those who are hurting, but it's. Here's what I want to say this morning. It's not it's not just an out there problem, right? It's a it's a right here problem. It's a right here problem. It's a it's a Bryan College Station problem. As I've talked with students who who have gone through through membership, uh, many uh, there's been stories of those who have been abused by youth pastors, abused by family friends, abused by those who were closest to them, people that they trusted. And, And the question becomes, how do we respond to all the abuse? And and how do we move forward? How do we find healing in this culture of hurt? It's interesting. Genesis 34 is, is proof that the Bible is about God and His glory. <laughs> Genesis 34 is proof of God's grace and, and His faithfulness and His calling. And here's what I mean by that. Apart from... Archaeological evidence, apart from the the just plethora of manuscript evidence, part of how I, I believe we can know that we can believe that this is the inspired, inerrant, authoritative word of God is check this out. It's because of passages like this. Because the very founder of Israel is painted in a terrible light. Pretty much from Genesis 25 all the way to Genesis 35 and even beyond. And, and Genesis 34 has got to be the, the, the low point. See, like, again, this is Israel. Jacob is Israel. Like, no one includes this story, right? And, and like, if this is your biography, like, you don't, you don't put this in there. It's incredibly damning for both Jacob and his sons, and yet here we find it in all of its ugliness right in the middle of, of the, the kind of story and the lineage of the patriarchs. But as grotesque as we might find this scene, we, we got we to gotta look in the mirror and recognize this truth. Y'all ready for this? Jacob's culture is our culture. Are y'all with me? Jacob's culture is our culture and we don't we don't just ask see we miss the point if we just go man how did they get there right if we're just asking how did they get there then we don't stop and look in the mirror and look around and say man how do we get here how do we get here and 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 i want to i want to make three points about the text and then and then i want to make three points about the gospel today the first is, is how, how, do we get, how do we get here? The first thing, if you're following along in the bulletin, there's a, there's a space for notes on the right. We dehumanize and objectify image bearers of God. And we see this, and, and, and for time's sake, I, I'm not going to go back. That's why I wanted the, the passage read in its entirety before we started today. But we see this in verses 1-4, through 4. it says Shechem, he saw her, he seized her, he lay with her, and he humiliated her. We're going to break some of those words down in the Hebrew, but notice, notice the progression, church. His, his eyes weren't the problem. His eyes exposed the sin and the evil that already resided in his heart. But throughout the Old Testament, there is this theme of, of people doing what was right in their own eyes, ultimately flowing from the sin within their hearts. But it started with Eve. Uh, it, it, we see it with Samson. We see it in the, judge, in, in, the, in the book of Judges. We see it with King David. And Shechem is, is, is a prince in the land. He, um, he completely... Abuses his position of power to cause catastrophic harm to another. It's awful. In the Hebrew, that word seize is 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 to take, to take away. Shechem, he he treats Dinah as just his like an object. And he seizes her as an object. And I, and I, and I thought about this, and you know, like our, our <laughs> Our two-year-old, our, our daughter, Ruthie, she's, she's in this phase, I've talked about it before, where everything is mine, right? And, and so much much to the dismay uh, of her four big brothers, it drives them crazy. Like, it doesn't matter like what precious object or toy they're holding on to. Like, Ruthie will come, and kind of like a stealthy ninja, and she'll grab it, and she'll run off and declare to the world, like, mine, right? And, and the boys hate it. Um, but that's where she is because she's two and everything's mine and 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 here's here's the point like my two-year-old my two-year-old seizes a toy but you don't seize people you don't you don't seize people especially especially not to assault them especially not to rape them and the text says he humiliated her and in the In the Hebrew, that word means to afflict, to oppress or to humble it, It's interesting that that word humiliate in and, and, and the Hebrew is the same word used to describe the persecution of Israel under Egypt when God when God looked down and he saw the affliction of his people and so part of the connotation is one of, of slavery and, and and helplessness. and we find out later. That Shechem, in fact, had, had kept Dinah as sort of a prisoner in his house the entire time. Even when he was asking permission to marry her, like, she's at his house. And though the text tells us in verse 3, if, if you look in verse 3, that it says he, he longed for and, and he loved Dinah. It's hard to imagine that this was anything more than lustful infatuation. And, and the reason I say that is because from the jump, man, there's, there was no pursuing her. There was no pursuing Dinah as a person. There was no desire to understand her. No desire to know her. No, no desire to know her heart. No desire to, to woo her. Shechem simply took what he wanted and he sexually assaulted her. Verse 1 tells us that that Dinah went out to see the the women of the land. And and, and this is significant, church, for for a few reasons. First, it's important to know that, that Jacob, Israel, had vowed to God that he would return and he would settle in Bethel. And so in ver- in chapter 33 by the end of chapter 33 we see Jacob travels but he he stops short of Bethel and he ends up and he stops about 20 miles short of Bethel in Shechem because it was a it was a very prosperous area it was a very prosperous city so in a sense due to Jacob's disobedience he already had his family in the wrong place but surrounded by paganite by pagan Canaanites the text tells us that that Dinah went for a walk to check things out. And it's crazy. I was talking about this with a couple of people this week. I, I read some commentators this week that implied like, that Dinah put herself in this situation <laughs> by taking a walk. <laughs> really? Like, are you kidding me? But then I thought about it. Like, We, we, we hear that today in the culture. We still hear that. Well, she shouldn't have been drinking, or well, he he shouldn't have been. He shouldn't have put himself in that position. He shouldn't have been at that place, or she shouldn't have been at that party. Really, as if those things make it right for a woman or for any person to be violated. And here's what I want to say, and I'm going to put a, a quote up by by author and, and and pastor Justin Holcomb. But if if you've walked through sexual abuse. Or, or or any type of significant abuse for that matter Here, here's here's what you need to know and i want to put this up and i may be blocking it i'm sorry justin holcomb says this if you have suffered as a result of sexual assault this book the bible is written to you and for you not not about you and he goes on he says what happened to you was not your fault You're not to blame. You did not deserve it. You did not ask for this. You should not be silenced. You are not worthless. You do not have to pretend like nothing happened. Nobody had the right to violate you. You're not responsible for what happened to you. You are not damaged goods. You were supposed to be treated with dignity and respect. You're a victim of assault and it was wrong. And you were sinned against And then he goes on, he finally says this, despite all the pain, healing can happen and there is hope. While you may cognitively agree that hope is out there, you may still feel a major effect of the sexual assault disgrace a deep sense of filthy defilement encumbered with shame. Disgrace, Holcomb says, is the opposite of grace. Grace is love that seeks you out even if you have nothing to give in return. Grace is being loved when you feel unlovable. Grace has the power to turn despair into hope. Grace lifts up Cures, transforms, and heals. And you can leave that up for just a second, Trent. If you've walked through this, here's what I want to say. You need to know that you are an Im- image bearer of Almighty God. And God with, with value assigned by God Himself. And you need to know that that God sees you and He offers grace upon grace upon grace even when you feel disgrace. You may feel like whatever has been perpetrated against you defines you, but it does not. It doesn't. In Christ, you, you have a Savior who takes the shame, the brokenness, and the hurt, and He restores your dignity. Here's the second thing. How do we get here? Here's the second thing you need to know this morning. You can go on to the next one, Trent. Leaders and influencers fail to lead. We see this really throughout the chapter. But verse 5, verse 5 tells us Jacob heard. Jacob heard. He knew exactly what had transpired. In verse 5, tells us that Jacob held his peace. At this point, you might be thinking, well, oh, like how, how noble of Jacob to not lose his stuff and how noble of him to keep his cool. Then in verse 6, you see him speaking with Shechem and then nothing. Like nada. The leader of Israel is not heard from again until verse 30. And what makes this all the worse, check this out, church. What makes this all the worse is, is to compare Jacob's reaction here to his response to the atrocity that happened to Joseph. Because, because see, Joe, what, Joseph was the son of Rachel, his beloved the favored wife, when he, when he was told that Jacob was mauled by a wild animal, Genesis 37 says that he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth, and he mourned for days. And, and it's so much so that Genesis 37 says that Jacob, Israel, could not even be comforted by his own family. He could not be comforted by his sons and then later in Genesis 44 is Judah is standing before Joseph not realizing it's his brother Joseph and he's pleading for the life of Benjamin and he says hey substitute my life for the boys listen trade my life for Benjamin's and and we talked about that in our Genesis series with Judah but understand this he says something interesting he says you don't understand The life of my father Jacob is wrapped up in the life of the boy. If you take Benjamin, my dad is going to die. That was his response to Joseph and Benjamin. His sons through Rachel. And this same Jacob here in Genesis 34, he goes silent and he goes passive when his daughter by Leah, Dinah, is sexually assaulted and kidnapped by a foreigner. Of all people, man, Jacob had the most powerful voice. The problem is, you don't hear his voice at all. Jacob may have been present, but it appears that his sons are doing all the talking. They're doing all the negotiating, they're doing all the scheming, and Jacob's response is one of silence. Church family, this is tragic. Edmund Burke says the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. What's crazy is that in verse 30, if you, if you look to the end of the chapter, look at what Jacob's saying in verse 30. When we finally do hear from Jacob, all he's worried about are appearances. Uh, he's, he's worried about repercussions from other kingdoms and from other peoples. What he's not worried about is his daughter. And he says, what if, what if they attack me? Never mind the fact that they had already attacked his daughter. Right. Jacob, here's the application Jacob represents so many people, so many leaders in the church today. Too, too many churches have been rocked by sexual assault. And, and let me say this some get it right. They they deal with it head on. They they confront the perpetrators. They care for victims well. They ensure justice takes place. But in our culture of sensationalism, like you don't you don't hear those stories. You You won't hear about that. But the fact remains that we do hear of stories of sexual assault and abuse where the response for far too many churches has been one of silence, which is horrific. It's terrible. And not just silence when it comes to confronting evil, but silence when it comes to sh- caring for and, and shepherding and and discipling those who have been hurt. And so, when when a church is more worried about appearances and reputation, and they and they simply they maybe they don't want to rock the boat, man, that's a problem. That's a problem. Today, man, I I know, I know of grown women from my, my childhood that were abused as, as young girls by men in their churches. And, and word got out. Families were, were devastated and nothing was done. No, no consequences. For the abusers, no legal action, no care for the abuse. And what's worse, when when leaders and influencers are, are silent on issues like sexual assault, it opens the door, church family, for more tragedy. It just opens the door for more injustice and more disgrace to come in. And we listen, we can't be like the culture and want to stone the person without the facts, but we for sure can't be silent when we have the information and the evidence. And we must confront the offender and demand justice. Church fam, silence and passivity are not an option. Can I get an amen on that? Silence and passivity are not an option. We must value justice more than we value justifying our inaction. We need to value restoration and responsibility more than reputation. We've got to be about it. Third thing is this. We, we misplace our anger in our desire for justice see Simeon and Levi they they become little rage monsters understandably they're upset These are, this is this is their sister And they they proceed to go on this bloody rampage. And they're executing vengeance against the people of Shechem. And, and, And again, I think initially there was probably like legit, just like grief and anger. Maybe some righteous indignation, but it turned quickly into this personal vendetta. And we see firsthand the the futility of resentment and and the futility of vengeance. Romans 12.19, God says vengeance is mine. I will repay. That's the Word of God. In no way do I think nothing should have been done. That, see, Jake, Jacob had that nailed down pretty good. That seems to be his territory. However, nowhere in this passage is, is it evident that Jacob or any of the brothers, anybody in the family, sought the Lord or the will of the Lord. The brother's response, it turned sinful and deceitful. And in verse 13, it uses, it uses that word deceit. It says they answered him deceitfully. Where have we seen that word before? <laughs> With Jacob. So we see the sons being deceitful like their father. So much so that they, they end up using the covenant sign. The covenant sign of circumcision of being God's people, not, not as a tool of evangelism, but as an instrument of murder. Y'all, y'all grasp that? This, this sign of being in covenant with God. They were supposed to be God's representatives to the nations, and they, they use it as an instrument of carnage. How twisted is that? <laughs> you ever have those moments where you say, man, that, that escalated quickly. Like last week, I'm, I'm watching the end of a Kansas State, Kansas basketball game. <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> just regular, yeah, and it was kind of an uneventful game. I mean, Kansas has just beaten down K-State. Because, um, I mean, hello, SEC Big 12, we know. So... Um, And as the game ends, uh, I mean, a little controversial play, but but it goes from like just oh basketball game to like an all-out brawl that like spills over into the stands. Punches are flying. At one point, a dude picks up a chair. It's like was this WrestleMania? Like I don't I don't understand. Um, think about the fallout from this. Instead of defending the honor of their sister. In holding Shechem responsible, right? There was this ancient law of lex talionis, which was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In the end, all the people of Shechem were impacted, and their city was turned upside down. Livestock, women, children, even the children suffered devastating consequences. The anger of man did not accomplish the righteousness of God. Far from it. And there was this ripple effect. In the absence of godly leadership, Simeon and Levi, they they weren't prepared or ready to respond in a way that remotely honored God. (laughs) They would be held culpable. Ironically, later in Genesis 49, on on his deathbed, Jacob, Israel, curses their anger. (laughs) I'm like, way to go, leader of the fam. In our culture, there, there are countless people hurting, angry, bitter over the abuse and the injustice that's been perpetrated against them and against others that they, that they care about. And the question becomes will we seek the Lord? Will we surrender? The vengeance to him. Hear me. It is absolutely good and right to seek out justice and to stand up and fight against injustice and abuse. But ultimately, we entrust our lives and the lives of those who have been hurt to the only just and righteous judge. Amen? We must guard against taking matters into our own hands and stepping outside of God's framework for justice. So as we look at this passage and, and all of its ugliness, you say, well, how man, how do we move forward? Like, what do we what do we do with this? Three, three gospel responses. One, one is this. We gotta understand that the gospel is the only remedy for sin. Amen? Let me get let, let me get an amen on that. The gospel is the only remedy for sin. Amen. Only the gospel, only Christ crucified and, and raised can transform both the abused and the abuser. Only grace, only the undeserved favor of God can soften broken hearts that have been jaded and, and marred by sin. John Mayer sings a song, I know the heart of life is good. It says, pain throws your heart to the ground. Love turns the whole thing around. Fear is a friend who's misunderstood. But I know the heart of life is good. I know it's good. I've said this before. I think about this song. Man, like that sounds really, like that sounds nice, but if this world, church, if this world is good, and if the human heart is good, and there was, there was, then there was no need for Jesus to come. And there's no need for Jesus to die on that cross. And there's no need for redemption and restoration. There's no need to address the, the brokenness around us and in us. And if goodness springs from within us, then we have all the resources we need to save and to heal ourselves. But we don't. We don't. And the reality is we live in a broken world and we're broken people, all of us. And only God can heal the broken. And only God can provide a remedy for those who have been assaulted, abused, who have experienced injustice. How do we move forward? Second thing is this. The gospel is the only promise of final restoration. See, this is the gospel that God, God loves sinners and he, and he saves them at great cost to Himself. And, and He hear me on this, He isn't just the God, some of you need to hear this, He isn't just the God of personal redemption, He is a God of global restoration, making all things right and all things new. See, if you're you're here struggling today and you're saying, man, how can good come from this? Like you don't know what's happened. You don't know what I've been through. How can good come from this brokenness? How can God make right what's been broken? Understand this. At the cross, God used the greatest injustice this world has ever seen to accomplish the greatest good this world has ever known. I'm going to say that one more time. At the cross, God used the greatest injustice this world has ever seen to accomplish the greatest good this world has ever known. Check this out. God has spoken this word of restoration and recreation. God. And I'm going to put another Justin Holcomb quote up. He says this. What victims need... Are not self-produced. Self-produced. That's important. Positive statements about God, uh, but God's statements about this response to their pain. How can you be rid of these dysfunctional emotions and their effects? How how can you be rid of your disgrace? God's grace to you dismantles the beliefs that gives that give disgrace life. Grace recreates what violence destroyed. Martin Luther writes that the love of God does not find, but it creates that which is pleasing to it. One way love is the change agent you need. Grace transforms and heals. And healing comes by hearing God's statements to you, not speaking your own self-produced statements over yourself. Third thing and finally, The gospel is the only hope for a process of healing, and that's important. The gospel is the the only hope for a process of healing. If you've walked through abuse, know that it will be a lifelong, lifelong process of appropriating the gospel to your, your scars and to your pain. There's no name it, claim it. I'm sorry. In church family, we can't be silent. We can't, we can't perpetuate like this nice, neat, like sterile, heady like discipleship, like, oh, I'm reading this book. While people are just hurting all around us, we must enter into this healing process with others. Church fam, you need to hear this. We have got to learn to listen. And I'm, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself on that. We've got to care better. Don't be, don't be quick, church family, to throw the Bible Bible verses and proof texts at the person who has been assaulted or abused. And don't, don't treat them only as victims, but as image bearers of God. Be with them every step of the way. Pray for those who are hurting. Encourage them to report the abuse if they they have not. Give them the gospel, not just your advice. Give them the gospel. Point them to Jesus, but with great care and love. Only the gospel can change our hearts. Only the unconditional love of God can help us move from fear to faith. And only the grace of God in Jesus Christ can swallow up all the disgrace and all the shame. I'll close with this last thing and we're done. There's another, there's a Shane Bernard and Shane Everett song called You and I. And it's powerful because it's, it's, it's God's declaration to those who are in Christ. And, 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 and they sing the song and God just says, clean. I call you clean. I came to clean you. And it's done. And God says, here's a call to all who felt disqualified to run. Pleasures flowing here and there from my right hand. What's mine is yours. Come behold all of who I am. But I think the best part of the song is the bridge. And it's this interaction between my words and the words of God. And God says, Clean. I've called you clean. Dirty. No, clean. No, I, I'm so unworthy. Clean. Dirty. Clean. You are clean. And that's what I'm wanting. God says clean. If Jesus says it's done, it is. If Jesus says you're clean, you are. If Jesus says He loves you, He does. Trust Him. Believe. And commit your life to Him. Y'all pray with me this morning.